inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning and welcome to Outlook on this Monday morning. Uh, you're listening to 94.9 CHRW Radio Western and um, yeah, thanks for being here today. Uh, I think we'll just get right into it. Um, it's a different, Brian and I are... Yeah, we're actually in the same room for the first time doing this pod, this uh, radio show since, since March, I guess. Yeah. But uh yeah, it happened that I was coming back to Woodstock for the weekend, so Carrie and I are in her basement, and we have a special guest. Carrie, if you want to... Things are opening up, yeah. Uh, so today I wanted to have on someone... Last week, uh, last episode, we talked about intersectionality and with everything going on. Uh, I wanted to speak to somebody who uh, I consider to be an ally uh, to... Well, specifically uh, us and the Canadian Federation of the Blind, and since we met her two years ago... Uh, at our first attendance of the convention in uh, Victoria, British Columbia. And uh, yeah, I was introduced to her. Uh, we we wanted to do some touring around um, before the conference started, and uh, everybody there already knew of this, this woman who um, was glad to take us out. So we really appreciated that. We got to see some... Um, so we went to the Breakwater, and we went to Monroe's Bookstore in Victoria famous bookstore there and uh, yeah so she's a writer um, she's actually been published most recently in uh, Glow and Mail uh, she has an article in there that's really rather interesting so I'll ask her a bit about that but we'll also talk about um, as I said allyship so um, thanks Thelma today for being on thank you very much for the lovely introduction Carrie um, I, I really appreciate both you and Brian having me on Outlook. It's a pleasure to be with you and, and an honor because I've heard your program a number of times and uh, I love the energy that you bring to CFB issues. And so it's, uh, I think the organization is lucky to have uh, the, yeah, the energy that you bring and the talent that you bring with your media experience. So thank you for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, the station is such an amazing place to give us the opportunity to do this show. And uh, yeah, so you're calling in from Victoria, British Columbia. How are how are things in Victoria today? Uh, well, it's just a little bit rainy right now, but uh, I've just come from uh, looking after my mom this morning. She, my mother's going to be a hundred in November, wow. and so. Part of my volunteer work, I guess, these days is a, it's a labor of love is helping to look after my mom. So all is well with her. So all is well with her, and that means all is well with uh, Daryl and I, my partner. So, um, Carrie, I love your introduction because it's funny to hear you describe your experience of coming out to Victoria. I remember when I heard that you were coming, we heard that these... Uh, four young uh, new members were coming from Ontario to the convention, and we were pretty excited about it. And then I heard that one of them was a writer, and she wanted to check out Monroe, our famous Monroe's bookstore. So I said right away, I, I want to meet her, <laughs> you know, 
because as a writer, I thought, I'm, I want to get to know this person who's willing to come across the country for this convention. And, you know, it was a small convention, small by compared to some conventions. I mean, I think there were about 50 people or so there. So I guess small compared to the big NFB conventions in the States. But uh, anyway, it was a pleasure to meet you, and I loved walking on the breakwater and getting to know you too, and also uh, going to Monroe's, of course. That was fun. And I also remember uh, how much fun it was to start to get to know each other just in those that first day or so. And Brian, you were uh, interested in checking out a music store. So we, <laughs> while uh, Carrie was busy in, in Monroe's, we walked down the street to the music store. Yeah, and I do I remember standing, those. I was standing there waiting for you, and you got into this big conversation with this girl uh, who worked there, and immediately <laughs> I was complete, I'm not a music person, and I was out of my league within five minutes, but the two of you were having a very great involved discussion about music, which was, I was happy to see that you'd found uh, a kindred spirit in, on your first day here. So, yeah, that's a good, uh, good memory of a good beginning. Yeah, it was really great. It was a really great intro to coming all the way there for the first time and and uh, being able to have the connection with you and going out to the to the breakwater and the bookstore and then for me the music store and yeah, it was just a it was yeah. a great welcoming um, experience. It, it was a lot of fun and and that really mirrors so much of my experience with CFB. Um, <clears throat> My connection to CFB is somewhat rooted in in my favorite love story. I mentioned my mother a couple of minutes ago. Um, my mother, uh, at 70 years old, joined a local Sons of Norway club, and she ended up uh, meeting a man who was a wonderful man, and they fell in love and had a relationship for almost 20 years, from 70 to 90 years old. <laughs> and they were like the cutest couple ever. And his daughter and son-in-law were blind, and it turned out they were two of probably the, mo- the strongest activists in Canada in the blind uh, CFB world. Doris and Oriano Belusic have really become <clears throat> kind of like, um, really like family to me, brother and sister. So um, I learned a lot about CFB and what they were doing from Doris and Oriano. And uh, it, so, and my partner Daryl and I tried to uh, help out wherever we could. And yeah, over the co- process, over the course of about 15 years, we learned a lot. And one of the things I'm, I've always been grateful to Oriano for was that when we first met, he gave me a book that was quite intimidating. It was about three inches thick, <laughs> and he said, "This is the story of the last century of the history of blindness." That was this book was written by um, Floyd Matson. It's called "Walking Alone, Marching Together," and it was a really good introduction from the NFB uh, Federation of the Blind in the States. Uh, their history, so that was really helpful to uh, both Daryl and I to read that. And I, I'd really recommend that any of your listeners that want to get some good insight into some of the the kind of work that CFB is really trying to do and the philosophy behind it. It's well worth the read, and it's all it's online. It's available from the NFB uh, site, and you know you could read uh, a chapter a day or listen to a chapter a day over the summer and 
that's what Daryl and I did a few years ago. Just every day we'd listen to a new chapter. It's pretty dense. There's a lot of material. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, um, if your listeners um, do that, at the end of the summer, they'll remember this summer as the summer that they learned all about uh, the real issues of uh, CFB people. Yeah, Sorry, I got been... off on a long tangent. No, it's there. all good. That's generally we have callers on and guests on the show. We want them to do the talking as much as they do because we're here every week talking. So it's always nice to have a different perspective and someone else's opinions and experiences. Mm. Um, but yeah, we've I've been meaning to actually read that book and <laughs> haven't got around to it yet, but I will. It's still planned to in my future. And uh, what was the what's the title again, Carrie? You've, did you start reading it, Carrie, or...? You meant no, I, I, I don't know. I think I've read variations of it. I read something that was uh, available on the NFB website last summer. I read it, I think. Um, but it was just a, basically a bunch of the speeches from over the years at their conventions. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the same book you're talking about. I thought you were going to say you, that you were given um, Politics of Blindness. Have you read that oh, one? No. Oh, no. I, I have absolutely read that as well. That's by Graham McCree. Mm-hmm. Actually, when that book came out, I bought... Uh, six copies of it mm-hmm. and gave it to six of my closest friends and asked mm-hmm. them to read it and come back to me with feedback on it. Wow. And that was a really, and every, and it was really interesting because every, they, of course, uh, I'm a sighted person and they are, my friends that I chose to read it were all sighted and it was completely new information to them. And of course, you know, most people in the CFB, if you read that book, it's, you know, it's not new information. <laughs> Uh, to anybody who's lived the experience, but uh, it's a very, it's a wonderful, another wonderful book by it Graham McCree. It is kind Macri. of, though. I mean, I've read yeah. it, I read it, and uh, I didn't know it existed before I met everybody with the um, CFB, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was stuff that, you know, I didn't even know, which is, I think, how it is for a lot of people. Um, you don't always know the history of it, and as has been talking about talk, talked about a lot recently, knowing your history, and I don't mean just your like lived history, but I mean the history of, you know, your your minor, the minority minority group you happen to be in. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, Canada and the U.S. have had a, a lot of different things going on over the last hundred years. You know, we have the CNIB, which is you know a lot about what what's in that book, but um. It's all great stuff that more people should read, and and it's not it's not just for people who are blind or who uh, have a, a loved one who's blind, because it's just important history I think for anybody to know that that you know somebody you that's living the kind of life that you might not be living you may have no idea. So getting to read mm-hmm. these books, you find that out, but it's just sometimes hard to get people to to see that. Yeah, and some yeah. of them are more interesting than others. The politics of blindness is definitely can be a bit of a difficult read, but it's um, it's definitely worth your time, and it does it does. Uh, it is, yeah. It's it's a bit of a dense read, and and I would say even the other book that came out by Floyd Matson from the um, NFB, the um, Walking Alone, Marching Together book. It, it's a lot of material and it is a bit dense, but you're right, Carrie, the speech, it is a lot of speeches, but when you start to hear some of those speeches from the annual conventions, you hear them over and over four or five times in the book, different people speaking, and you just think, holy mackerel, why aren't we further ahead? People were saying this like 80 years ago. Yeah, you know, So we're really slow. So I think my hope is part of the CFB mandate is ed- to educate sighted people. And, you know, I, I really feel strongly after having read uh, Floyd Matson's book that 
that's a really important piece that has been neglected. Sighted people need more information. And, you know, I'm reminded of um, Eleanor, one of my favorite quotes from Eleanor Roosevelt is uh, a quote that says, "Our, our only real defense in a very insecure world is friendship among peoples. And I really love that because it really, in my mind, speaks to how there are so we are, there's so many differences in the world, and uh, you know allyship is all about friendship and um, creating friendship and uh, and it is our I do believe she's right it is our only real defense and it is a very insecure world, but um, you know so I, I strongly believe in what CFB is trying to do and and, and the history and yeah. Yeah, and for anyone who is just tuning in, um, we are here on Outlook speaking with Thelma from Victoria, British Columbia, um, about our experiences. We met met her through the Canadian Federation of the Blind, who uh, is also the uh, organization that inspired this show in the first place. So it's really nice to have someone on that's um, connected with this organization and also someone who, who is cited to get a different perspective um, because the CFB, while um, comprised of Primarily blind people, sighted people are allowed to be um, members as well, and uh, they just don't have this, the same voting rights that the blind people do, but it's still, um, you know, we're all about integration and having everyone together and working together, so uh, it's very important, and we're happy to have her on today. Yeah. Yeah, so I, um, so before that then, had you met anyone who was blind, or? Yeah, kind of grow, growing up and before. Well, you you'd already mentioned how you connected with um, Doris and Oriano, but before that happening, growing up and stuff, how, what yeah, was Yeah, you your... want to tell us a bit about yourself in general and then just sort of see... Yeah, well, um, I grew up in Montreal and uh, spent my first 20 years there, and then I moved to Victoria. And uh, I guess when I was in my mid-20s, I had, I guess, the standard experience that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Um, I was terrified of the idea of public speaking, so I took a Dale Carnegie public speaking course, and just when the course was over and I was a little more comfortable with the idea, I saw an ad in the paper that the local institute for the deaf and hard of hearing was uh, looking for some, a public speaker to work on one of their education programs. So I volunteered to do that, and it was my first volunteer experience. <clears throat> and I ended up, um, I ended up becoming because I like writing. I ended up becoming doing this public speaking, but also I edited their monthly newsletter for, I guess, about a year or two. And it was such a new experience for me because I had never known anyone who was deaf, and I met a lot of friends. And and when I first joined, I was at a Christmas party, and I was standing in the middle of this room, and everyone around me was using sign language. And so I was the other in that situation. And I just remember standing there thinking, oh my goodness, I, I, I can't participate in this. I, and it was just a really interesting introduction to, first of all, to volunteering, which I've since gone on to volunteer for a lot of different organizations because it is such a good way to go into a place that you're curious about and look around and find out what they're doing, what they're trying to do, how they work, um, and meet people who are willing to explain things to you. So um, so that was a really good, you know, I, I worked for CFB. I, I've been a volunteer with um, Victoria Hospice for about 15 years now, and I did the same thing in that organization. I went in, and I ended up becoming their 
foot rubber for patients and um, families that were on the hospice unit. I did that for six years, one day a week. Wow, I didn't and know it that was, was a thing. Oh, oh, I loved it. It was just, well, I was actually sp- volunteering to serve tea and coffee, but I had just taken a reflexology course oh, okay. and just for fun, and I used to do my nieces and nephew. I'd be the foot rubber. Mm. And uh, so I was at hospice. I was supposed to serve tea and, co- uh, tea and coffee to people, and then um, I, saw, I met some people that were really struggling with end-of-life issues, and I said, well, do you want a foot rub? And that the nurse came up to me afterwards and said, that's a really worthwhile service. Can you do that? Just that. Forget about the tea and coffee. So <laughs> things evolve when you volunteer to do something. You never quite know what you're going to end up doing. Right. And, uh, yeah, so I've done a lot of volunteer work and really enjoyed getting to know different communities. That's Sorry, a, did I get off? Did I get off the track there? No, that no. I mean, our show is is a is a wider um, look at disability. Um, so that's great. Um, but yeah, you, you, and you make good points in that. Depending, you know, no, no matter what the organization is that you're volunteering for, uh, it's just good because, like you said, <laughs> you were in a room all of a sudden and you were the minority. Mm-hmm. And that's an yeah. important experience for a lot of us that we should all have, and most of us do at one time or another. But uh, you know, not all, not everyone appreciates it or, or gets something out of it in, in the same way. Uh, but you know, mm-hmm. that's that's great. Yeah, and that's why I've been interested too in more more sighted people coming to these conventions um, in Canada, of course, and then even especially in the states because there's so many people there, and most you know the majority of the people are blind. So that is one of those situations where if you went to one of those conventions, you would see everyone is practically blind and so you would like you know people some people that the sighted people that are there would be the would be the uh, exception yeah well daryl and i uh, my partner daryl and i are determined one of these days to get down to one of the conventions in the states the nfb conventions because we have talked to so many cfb members who who talk about how much fun they had and and so i was asking doris and saying you know gee are we allowed to go? Can we can we go too? And uh, because it, it just it's all about learning, you know. It's all there's tons of learning, and and uh, I think we all suffer from ignorance uh, when we've never had the chance to learn about issues that have never affected us. Even though I grew up in Montreal as a big city, I, as I think back on it now, I I don't think I knew. I can't remember knowing anyone who was blind. It just wasn't part of my circle, you know. So, mm-hmm. and you know, how can I know about something unless you know I, I've come close to it? So, um, <clears throat> yes, and yeah. and and you moved from from your volunteer position to making friends. And, you know, oh, now yeah. now you and Doris uh, and Ariano, like you said, you feel like family there, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But you should definitely um, get I, to one, yeah. I also, I had an interesting experience a couple of years ago that <clears throat> had a big impact on me. Anne Wasserman is a friend of Doris and Ariano's. She's a blind woman who is from New Jersey she was a special ed teacher. She retired and spent about 25 years coming to Victoria every summer. And she met lots, and so that's how I met her. And she's just one of these very dynamic people. She's Ski uh, Ski for Light, I think, was the organization. She's traveled all over the world. She's she's just full of energy and um, and very interesting. And she also reads more than anyone I know. She probably reads two or three books a week. 
And so she's quite a, anyway, quite an energetic person. She came to Victoria one summer, and she called me up, and she said, do you want to go to a certain dance class? It's it's going on. I said, oh, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. Let's go check it out. So we went off to this class and had fun and participated and really enjoyed it. And at the end of the class, as Anne and I were leaving, a woman came up to me, very well-intentioned, and she said, um, you are so sweet to bring her out like this. And I looked at this woman, and I kind of did a double take, and I, I looked at Anne, and Anne turned around and walked away. And I said to her, this woman, I said, this woman has probably traveled more than you and I put together. And anyway, we ended the conversation. When I went outside, I said to Anne, Anne, why didn't you say something to her? I don't know why she spoke that way. I mean, you know, knowing Anne's background, I just found it really heartbreaking, actually, that somebody would perceive my friend that way, who was this very dynamic, you know, person. And Anne said to me, if I did, she said, if I explained things to her, she said, I would be doing that all day long. Sad, but true. And she said, yeah, she said, I don't want to do that. And it, that was a very important learning moment for me because this person didn't see my friend the way I saw her or the way our circle of friends sees her. And so that was really interesting and it really got me thinking about how much education really needs to happen among sighted people to to understand the issues. Yeah, it's just t- it's too bad that people automatically go there, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if, if I have any help from a friend to do anything, it's almost like they're babysitting me to the world, not just having a nice day out and sure helping. But the point that we like to make on this show that I try to make and why we like to talk to everybody is that, you know, <laughs> this is just, these are, like you said, we, we'd get tired if we educated people all the time. But, you know, we all depend on each other for things. So mm-hmm. this whole thing about, well, you know, blind people or other people with disabilities it's just they're all constantly dependent on others for everything so it makes it hard to show that we still have friendships and we still have relationships that are meaningful more than just caretaking or you know helping someone do their errands or whatever but as you know friends do that for each other also and and we we can give back to our friends who may be sighted and who may have a car to drive us somewhere in other ways that make it a you know a nice back and forth with as a friendship so mm-hmm. Yeah. I find the older I get, the more common ground I see among so many different groups. I'm always reminded in in the many groups that I'm uh, a part of, you know, most of us have, we've got the same needs to, to learn and be loved and be respected and have fun and feel safe and so on. And there's way more common ground than there is differences. And I'm reminded of that often. But the way a lot of people do just see differences first, that's what stands out to people. It, it is, but it's an education process, you know. Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, it, it, if you're not used to seeing something, it's, it's a novelty at first. But, right. you know, when you, if, if you go out of your way to talk to people, as you guys did when you came to, to Victoria, you know, you were willing to literally put yourself out there across the country and come and, and hang out with a bunch of strangers, and we got to know each other. And, you know, I think that kind of... I think people who are blessed, uh, and I know both of you are, uh, with curiosity in life, to step across the room or talk to somebody and listen and find out where are they coming from. 
you know, what's, what are their issues? What's important to them? And, you know, as I say, I'm reminded that we, we, I'm constantly reminded of the uh, common ground and is, is much, much larger than the, the, um, than, than the small differences. For sure. Yeah, and it, and I'm always grateful now to the CFB because without without having found CFB, I wouldn't have met everyone who's out there, including you. And, you know, sometimes we like to talk about writing and then that has nothing to do with blindness or sighted or whatever. I mean, it's just our what we what we love, books and 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 the written word and and uh and yeah, your partner is sighted too, but you know, he's he's great, you know, taking he, he's a photographer, right? So so he's been taking he takes pictures he's contributed to the blind canadian the magazine that we have sometimes and uh mm-hmm. so it's just everybody has talents and and things and 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 yeah. it's just important to highlight that i'm, I'm really grateful that um uh, i guess when i was in my i'm so i'm a 64 um, year old woman and when i was in my 30s working full-time i decided that i would uh take a writing course because I wrote a letter for my boss and my boss said, you need a writing course. <laughs> so I took a writing course and I really loved it. And I decided to <clears throat> um, take one course at night per term. And I ended up doing this for almost 20 years. And then I ended up earning a degree in nonfiction writing. And I was probably the slowest person to ever earn a degree. It took me forever, but I really enjoyed it. I re- and I figured that uh, in my you know retirement years, I would really enjoy writing. I think it's something that I'm curious about a lot of things, and I'd always be <clears throat> um, it would be a skill that would be useful to me. And that's turned out to be true. I, I really I've met a lot of people, a lot of writers. And I, if I'm curious about anything, you mentioned earlier that I wrote something for the Globe and Mail recently. I wrote about dandelions, and it was just an idea that was mulling around in my mind for a long time. And so, you know, I now I have the skills to sit down and write a piece about dandelion. And, and I just finished writing another piece for the Globe and Mail. If you can believe it, it's going to be about crying oh, and the importance cool. of crying. Great. And so I... I pitched the idea to the editor, and he said, mm, I don't think so. So I went to another organization and pitched the idea about crying, and they said, oh, maybe, you know, write us something. And anyway, then they changed their mind. So I went back to the Globe and Mail and said, um, I know you said no to my pitch, but because of so much that's going on in the world right now, a lot of very painful things, um, you know, with the Black Lives uh, matter movement and the pandemic and just there's so many anxiety-filled issues going on that I've written this article about crying from a different perspective. And so they, um, the editor came back to me and said, I really like it. It's a great idea. So it's interesting how subjects can come up and and uh, it's I can phone people up and say, I phoned up the an ethnobotanist in uh, at the University of Victoria and said I'm writing a story about dandelions and can I talk to you about that? Or when I was writing the story about um, crying, I called up four counselors and said, "Here's what I'm thinking about writing. Does this make sense to you?" So it's really fun. I've re- I've really enjoyed uh, being able to do that. Can't wait to read it. Um, we're. Very happy to have Thelma on today as our guest from Victoria, British Columbia. 
met, we met her through the Canadian Federation of the Blind, and we're coming up on the halfway point of Outlook, so we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Hi everyone, welcome back to Outlook here on 94.9 CHRW Radio Western. Thanks for joining us again. We're talking here with uh, Thelma Fail from Victoria, British Columbia. And she is, I guess I would say, an ally of the CFB and us, all of us in it. Um, Canadian Federation of the Blind. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, so we were talking about a lot of things in the first half hour. And I wanted to just circle back to your article about dandelions for a minute because I read it and, um, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, it made me think back to my childhood, as you sort of point out in the article, uh, basically in your article, uh, what is it called again? Uh, uh, Dandelion, Hear Me Roar, I think. Yeah, I'm t- <laughs> yeah, I think it's a nice, a nice title there. But in the article, you say that, uh, that this is a rose-centric uh, continent. So North America <laughs> loves roses, but dandelions, oh, those are nasty things. Um, but I grew up um, with more sight than I have now, and uh, I used to love dandelions because they were easily spotted in the in the dark darker grass, these you know yellowy flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to like to go around and pick pick them and uh, <laughs> give them to people as a bouquet and things. And so it was a great sort of the kind of thing my mom would have done when I was a baby, you know, putting something uh, lighter on a darker background for contrast. It's the kind of how I, so as a kid, I loved dandelions and I, I never really, I, I think I'd still pick them over roses, really. But um, yeah, so you good. make some good points. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I've actually had a number of people, I've probably had about a dozen people uh, search me out to tell me almost exactly that, that they love dandelions and they don't like the fact that they're maligned. And, you know, it is a rose-centric world. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. so I appreciate your saying that, Carrie. Yeah. But as a sort of as a metaphor, I kind of look at it as this whole discussion we've been having, right? Like the obvious um, beauty standard in society or what's considered acceptable and and, and appealing and pleasant-looking, you know, compared to the things that... So some of the topics that we talk about and the th- some of the things that are in the books that we d- talked about in the first half hour uh, that have been written about blindness and sort of the history of it in North America, you know, it's sort of showing... And now with Black Lives Matter and all these things going on, there are a lot of things that if you don't have to deal with them, it's sort of easier to look away. And mm-hmm. it's sort of easier to place less value on on those traits uh disability seen as weakness but uh, that's why I think it's important to have allies like yourself um what would you say you know as far as the definition of ally uh you know because there's debate in different communities about is that the right word to use and as writers I know you know that can come up about what words are um best used yeah, I think um, my favorite word when I think of ally, I think of the word kindred spirit. And I think, um, yeah, a kindred spirit. And we can only become kindred spirits when we really listen to each other and learn about each other. And so uh, I think one of the things I love about this moment in time, 2020, with all of its warts, is that it's causing us all to stop at the same time and look at the world and rethink a lot of things. And that's 
you know, that's very exciting. Uh, I think the world is, like you, I see, me- I see metaphors everywhere. Dandelion, to me, is a metaphor. And, you know, um, but I have to be careful because I, I really can see metaphors in everything. Mm-hmm. One thing I did want to say is that <clears throat> Daryl and I do a lot of reading together. And uh, it's one of the things that we really enjoy to do as a couple to sit down and read together because you're literally on the same page. And I say read, but we usually listen to audio books. But another book I wanted to mention, I just thought of, and it's called Blind Justice, and that had a really big impact on us. And it's the a biography, the story of Jacobus Tenbrook, who was a pioneer in organizing the blind uh, in the States. But he's Canadian, uh, right? He was, yeah, actually. He's, he's the Canadian that got away. We never should have let him go. <laughs> yeah, right. We needed but, that stuff going on here more, but um, yeah, at least he's doing good, still doing good anyway. Yeah, he, he, he was uh, a constitutional lawyer. He was a blind man who did a lot of interesting things, fabulous, incredible things in the blind community. But outside of the blind community, as a constitutional lawyer, uh, lawyer, he del- did a lot of incredible things around around Japanese internment, and uh, Daryl and I were just uh, bowled over by what we learned about blind justice. And again, you know, this is a guy who was uh, he lived in the early 1900s. So, you know, this is we're talking about over a hundred years ago, and his ideas are way ahead. If even what a lot of people are talking about now. So for any of your listeners, again, who want to, you know, make a commitment to learn something about the community, reading Blind Justice is a really good one to start. You cannot help but be uh, really impressed. He, he, mind you, he is one of those exceptional people that, you know, had a very big impact on um, constitutional law around poverty in the States and Japanese internship, and then, of course, he was a founding pioneer with the NFB. So, yeah, before I forget, I just wanted to mention that book because it, re- it, it you know, we, Daryl said to me, and now Daryl is an economist, and he said to me halfway through this book, we should try to write a movie about this guy. <laughs> like, we don't even, we don't even have the skills to do that, but that's how, this, someone should make a movie about this man. Wow. And because he's full of wisdom and practical uh, experience and so on. So anyway, I wanted to mention that book. I also wanted to mention that uh, for anyone who hasn't read The Blind Canadian yet, Mm -hmm. um, I would highly recommend, just to give you some fabulous insight, take one issue and read it cover to cover. And one of the, I think, one of the issues that is a really good example of a collection of very strong voices is the, I was just flipping through my file and I looked at, the there's lots of them. If you go back a few years, uh, Doris Belusic, the editor, has worked on many, many of them and the last couple with your help, Carrie. But, um, you know, the November 2019 issue, and it's available online, you just have to go online to Canadian Federation of the Blind and type in Blind Canadian Magazine. Yeah, if you go to CFB, cfb.ca, they should all be up there. All right, issues. right. So that particular issue is a collection of very strong voices. You get 
perspectives from people like Elizabeth Lalonde, another one of the pioneers from Victoria who's done a lot of work in the community and still doing a lot of work. And she does it with um, very limited resources. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if, I, if I were king of the world or queen of the world, I'd make sure Elizabeth had a lot more Me resources. Too. Yeah, and that's kind of the the CFB in general is we're working with as, like f- less resources than we would like, but it's it's oh, it's it's yeah. such it's such important work that needs to be done that you know yeah. we work with what we have and yeah. Another thing I was going to suggest is um, to some of your sighted listeners, um, I would really advise people to be very willing to make a lot of dumb mistakes. <clears throat> I've made a ton of dumb dumb mistakes. Uh, you know, uh, interpreting things incorrectly or doing the wrong thing, you know, sitting at a table of people and then getting up and leaving to go to the bathroom and not saying I'm leaving, those kind of things. But, you know, so I've made lots of mistakes and, and you know, if, if you're willing to make lots of dumb mistakes, uh, you know, you'll, that's, that's a, a great way to learn. And, you know, fortunately, I've, I have CFB friends who have patiently continued to help me learn. And so that's been a really, yeah. So, you know, quite a few years ago in the 80s, I lived in Japan for a while. I lived in Japan for about a year. I was studying Japanese and working for a Japanese advertising agency as a a writer. And um, I was trying to learn this very difficult language, and I was constantly making mistakes, big mistakes, you know. I told my my boss that she amused me like a clown, and I thought I was saying something else that was. <laughs> so you know, you, you make mistakes all the time, but if you can if if you can get comfortable with doing that, with making mistakes, and I'm I'm really specifically talking to your sighted listeners now. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes, and people will straighten you out, and that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes, but get out there and you know look for opportunities to learn. Great. Thank, yeah, yeah, that's a great tip. Uh, you know, thank you. I would have been one of my questions asked to ask you. But um, as as allies like that, we want to be for other minority groups. You know, like we talked about last episode with intersectionality. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, that's the kind of thing I'm worried about when I want to show that I am supporting a friend or just you know the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I'm worried, and a lot of people are about saying the wrong thing and and being embarrassed about that or being corrected by somebody who who knows and you just sort of have to accept that that's going to happen but that at least you know you're trying and and that's what we appreciate about anybody who like yourself and uh, yeah I wanted to point out too that you know like Daryl's photography skills have been appreciated but also he is he's done a lot of great work research and writings about some of the issues that we deal with uh, guide dog um, discrimination type issues and so he's he's been great for some of that. But. Mm-hmm. He's really enjoyed being part of the uh, part of uh, the allies, the ally group to CFB, and uh, we probably get to visit with Doris and Oriano a couple of times, a few times a month, I guess, for dinners and stuff. And so we're always having great chats. And Daryl has really enjoyed. Um, in fact, he's got a piece in that um, November issue as well that uh, he enjoyed putting together. But, you know, I want to come back to something you said, Carrie, you know, the thing about making mistakes and the work that you're doing with different groups. I think two things that I, I like to keep in mind is that um, if I do something, if I say something wrong and I get a sense that I've 
hurt someone by, you know, making uh, an error in, in how I said something or making an assumption that was incorrect, I'm very, very comfortable apologizing. If I, you know, if I see that I have, have made a mistake, I can just say, look, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm glad you pointed it out because it takes guts to point it out. It's easier for someone to walk away and say, oh, that person is stupid or, you know, whatever, said a dumb thing. But, hey, tell me about it, and then I know better. So I I can apologize easily. The other thing is, I don't think you can ever go wrong by listening. You know, listening is the resource that's in shortest supply in our world. We don't listen to each other enough. And I think, I mean, I'm not on social media. Um, I'm not on Facebook or anything like that. But I understand that there's a lot of not listening going on uh, where people are, you know, quick to jump on each other. And I, I really want to, hopefully for the rest of my life, to try to be a better listener. And, you know, I'm not certainly not there. Uh, I have a long, maybe have a long way to go, but I try my best to listen and understand. And I don't think you can ever go wrong if you genuinely just keep trying to listen. I read something somewhere recently that said that we were born with two ears and one mouth. So, you know, you do the math, <laughs> put that together. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, again, we're speaking with Thelma Fail and, uh, I, again, uh, encourage you to read her piece in the Globe and Mail uh, about dandelions. Um, But, yeah, her and I connected as writers, and, uh, you know, I always love meeting writers. And uh, I do want to say you become, well, one of my my mentors. I don't know if I've ever told you that, uh, Mm. but... Thank you, thank you. um, Yeah, you are, you know, you're like me in, in a lot of ways, quieter, you know, you don't like to draw attention to yourself like you said you're not on social media you just you you're curious and you listen and that's that's what that's all you know we can really look for in in friends like you so yeah and that's what i noticed right away when we met we met at the canadian federation of the blind convention back in 2018 right away when we met that day going to the breakwater and stuff i just noticed right away like a really good positive vibe from you and just how how you are very very laid back and relaxed but really easy to talk to and um yeah just just such such a great um honor to to know you and have you on the show today and like you and daryl you try to do these projects with your video camera and and talk to us at the convention and put together a little piece about it and i think both years we've had some trouble with my my participation but yeah you do a good thing yeah we played a bit of that on uh one of the outlooks uh quite a while ago now about the uh listening to blind canadians the piece that you and daryl were were working on yeah that that was actually a kind of disappointing in the long run because I pitched that idea to do a longer documentary based on that. I think it was about a ten minute clip mm-hmm. and uh, I pitched it all over the place and I could not find a home for it but that's also part of this kind of work is that you you know you go out you try to do something and you know, it doesn't go anywhere. You try something else, it may not go anywhere. You just keep trying. And that's something I've admired in the community in Victoria. People like Doris and Oriano and Graham and Christine McCreef, uh, you know, there have been some issues that they have been working on for years. Yeah. One of them was, you know, getting the um, audio um, component on public buses to say what streets they're at. Now, this is a this is something that they sh- the the transit company should have done 
decades ago. They yeah. had the technology to do it. But it took mostly, I think, um, Oriano and Graham uh, working. Just They just would not give up on it. And finally, it came to pass. And not only are the people in Victoria benefiting from it, but all over the province. So people who have difficulty... Uh, seniors, all all kinds of different groups are benefiting from the work that they did. So I think that's another thing is you just have to keep trying. You might not get a reward or a reward in the sense of, you know, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, but sometimes it's the third or fourth time and that's when (laughs) it falls together. And uh, so you just have to never give up. That's the main thing. I was working with um, Teppi Hughes, a woman in Victoria who's a, a member of CFB, and she was trying to get a job. And uh, Teppi had a really hard... She, she's been trying for about two years to get a job, and she hasn't... Well, she's had a few short-term stints, um, but she really struggled with it. But she made up her mind very early that she was not going to give up. And so as long as I kept hearing her say, I'm going to keep trying, we worked together to, to do that, to keep trying. And, and, of course, now with the pandemic, it's, it's really tough. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the, the spirit of I'm not giving up is the backbone of the, national, of, the, of the NFB in the States and also the backbone of CFB. You ha- if you're going to get anywhere in the organization, it seems to me the successes have come from people with that kind of de- determination. Yeah, it definitely ties in real, real, really well to the Canadian Federation of the Blind because it is still such a small organization here in Canada and it can get quite dis- discouraging sometimes when you're just sitting there and working as hard as you can and nothing's happening and still so many people don't know about it. But like you say, it's it's about not going away and just always being there and keep keep at it and keep working at it and eventually at some someday it will all pay off so it, it ties right. into anything yeah which reminds me brian i wanted to congratulate you on uh, taking on the role of treasurer this year because um numbers are something that's all have always uh, numbers and me don't get along that well, well. me neither I'm, <laughs> yeah i'm not a numbers person so when anybody um volunteers to take on a role like that, I really appreciate that because it's not something I have the skills or talent to do. So, and, you know, these roles are always a learning opportunity and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the organization that have a lot of confidence in you, Brian, and are very happy that you've taken on the role. So I know that you're going to learn a lot from Graham and from Graham McCreef, the former treasurer, and uh, I'm sure you'll do a great job. And so, you know, and uh, also, Carrie, the role that you've played with the Blind Canadian, you know, bringing your writing skills to it and your talents to it has been a real boon. So those are, yeah, you just, I think, you know, you pick roles that, that you are willing to keep at. And then a few years down the road, you can train somebody else to take over and then you can move on to something else that you're interested in doing. But yeah, there's lots of, lots of opportunity, but the never give up spirit is is really what it's all. Well, I suppose that's true of any organization. I belong to a couple of national writing organizations, and it's always hard to get people who will get into the key roles and and do the hard work that's required. But uh, that's what organizations run on. So you have to do it because you 
feel something in your heart that it's the right thing to do, and that seems to sustain us. Thanks. Yeah, I hadn't. Uh, we were going to mention that on the show, and we haven't got around to it yet. That I uh, was recently elected national treasurer, but like you say, it's um, it is an honor, and it's one of those things that. I am a very logical person and always loved math and numbers and stuff like that. So I think it is a good role, but at the same time, it's something I've never done before, which is the overall goal of the of the CFB is to give people opportunities that they might not normally have. And it's, again, it's something I don't, I've never done. So I'm nervous about it, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's about learning on the job. And generally in life, you don't really know, no matter what it is you do, you don't really know what it's going to be like until you just go ahead and start doing it. So that's yeah. usually your best. Yeah, your best and that's an in, in, interesting combination. Uh, interesting combination of skills that you bring to it. That you know, you love math and numbers, and you all are also uh, a musical person. So yeah, you, you bring a right, wide range of uh, talent to even that, to that treasurer position. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure it'll be. Uh, I hope it's a fun a fun time for you. There'll be a bit of aggravation in it too, but uh, yeah, once I tax have, season comes around and stuff. But. Yeah, that's right. But I have no doubt you'll be you'll be great. And, and uh, yeah, as I say, a lot of people are quite happy that you've been willing to take on the role. So good luck with it and congrats. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's definitely important. And you never know when that skill could come in handy. Yes, that's for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things that I learned in my role at... Um, Victoria Hospice is I they're really good at training people to taking a lot uh, giving people uh, volunteers a lot of courses mm-hmm. and so I've taken all kinds of courses and you know over the last 15 years and now as I get older and uh, those courses you know bereavement counseling and different aspects of end of life care they're really valuable to me not only in my uh, volunteer role but in my personal life, you know, those are really good life skills. And I think as treasurer, you're going to pick up some really good life skills as well. Yeah, for sure. It's about, it's about the, the big picture and what you, what you gain from it that you can take into other areas of your life. And yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It has been a real pleasure to talk to both of you. I really enjoyed this. I was so nervous about the idea of being on your show (laughs) And uh, you have made it so lovely and comfortable, and it does feel exa- exactly as you said, Carrie. It's just having a chat, and that's how I feel. So, thank yeah. you for the the warmth. Yeah, I mean, welcome. I I tried to convince you originally with my pitch in the email, so I yeah. started there. <laughs> yeah, it's one of yeah. those things I di- I didn't know if you'd come on, and it's it's common, you know, a lot of people aren't used to or have never been on on the radio, and, and yeah. uh, our own father is nervous to yeah, be on our show. We haven't got him on the show yet, uh, um, yet, so. It is one of those things, but once once someone does do the show, I find then after that they're like, "Oh, can I come on again? Can I do long, can I be on longer?" <laughs> so it usually ends up uh, changing people's overall opinions on it once they yeah. actually. Yeah, I've enjoyed the experience. I'm sure I'll probably get off. Uh, well, I'll get off the phone and in half an hour from now, I'll think, "Oh darn it! I should have said this. I should have said that." <laughs> yeah, that's what happens yeah. with all, a lot of our interviews too. We'll we'll have a great interview. We'll hang up the phone and then. That night, I'll be thinking, oh, I should have asked this, or this is the one thing we forgot to talk about. And the good thing about this show is we, like we talked about previously, we're not giving up. We're going to keep doing this show for hopefully forever. And uh, good. You know, we'll wow. have an opportunity <laughs> to have have you on again, for sure, or any oh. any guest. So. Well, yeah, Thank we you. still have a lot of people to talk to. Well, I've got to uh, give your father a little um, prompt and tell him, Mr. Kajuski, it, it's, uh, it's fun 
Exactly. <laughs> so come on the show. <laughs> We're going to gather up some testimonials like like writers do. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's a good idea. You've given some great tips to people who, like you said, may be listening. Uh, what, what advice would you give about, um, I mean, what do you get out of the CFB conventions you've attended? What advice would you give to get more people to go to an NFB or CFB convention? Hmm. Well, I guess if you could get into the... Um, you know, some exposure in the mainstream media because I think sometimes we tend to focus on media that I, I just think sighted people, if you reach sighted people by the mainstream media, that's one way to draw people in. And I think, you know, you could you could organize things like, um, you know, uh, there's the annual White Cane uh, Walk. I was thinking next year we should have a White Cane Walk on the breakwater in Victoria. It would be really fun to get, you know, a hundred people out there walking uh, with their using white canes on the breakwater. Uh, another thing is to, you know, get people, if you could use the mainstream media to invite people to, it could be as simple as, you know, meeting up at your favorite uh, uh, ice cream store. My favorite ice cream store in Victoria is Chocolat Favorite. Whenever somebody comes to town, we head to Chocolat Favorite. And, uh, you know, if you have a, you know, once a month on a Tuesday, you meet there. And if the mainstream uh, media will pick up, most newspapers have a piece that says there's things going on. If it's, you know, meet a few people from CFB at the ice cream place, you know, on Tuesday at one o'clock or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, or seven o'clock or just a, an opportunity to sit and chat and it can be as casual as that, you know, but I, I think using, uh, now I'm a communications person, so I always think media, get into the media. Right. Um, but, you're, but you're right in the sense that it just, it's, it's one of those things that when it's an organization that just isn't known that well, you, you really need some, some sort of coverage to get to get out there and to have people hear about you. And it's one of those things that these conventions are such a special thing. And the, and the fact that um, Carrie and I and you have all been to one is it's one of those life-changing experiences that I've found. And it's, you can't really, it's hard to sell it to someone else unless they actually go to go to one. But I think it's, it's so important that, um, that you, you've been going to the conventions as well. And uh, it's something I think if we keep at it and we don't go, go away, that it, it will get bigger and bigger and more people will become interested. We're not yeah. going away. I yeah, I think conventions are really good. One one thing about a convention is you're pulling in, you're not really pulling in sighted people for the most part. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, and I find uh, uh, it's a bias, I guess, but I like, I really love one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one conversations. Yeah, that's because the Same here. It yeah. is, it's lovely. You know, so even if you're, even if you do things that are really small, like, you know, um, I do often... Uh, organize a group of writers I'll, I'll send out a note to some writers and know that i know and say i'm meeting i'm going to be at the ice cream store at tuesday at one o'clock anybody who feels like coming come along it'd be fun to see you and then inevitably uh two or three people will show up or as a couple of months ago there was 18 people showed up mm. and so you know you just if you can just create these very informal opportunities for people to have one on, you know, it could be as simple as letting people know, look, if you've never 
met a blind person, if you have no connection to this community, come and have an ice cream with us or a beer. Or Maybe not a beer. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it's a little harder right now with the pandemic. Yeah, I know right now, yeah. but in, the, know, in the future. But I think those, if you can create opportunities for one-on-ones, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. anyway, I'm sure... Yeah, you'll think, I'm sure you'll think of lots of uh, ways of doing it, but it, it's hard work. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's easy to get a bunch of people to come to the convention, but it's a lot harder to get people involved. Right. Yeah, that's, some of the exactly. and that's just lifting. it. We've had our social events yeah. here with, with for, for CFB where a lot of people show up more than we expected, but then afterwards they still go back to li- their lives and they don't really remember. So it's... Um, whether it's, it's one day a, a year or a couple days a year or, you know, like, you know, Black History Month or Gay Pride Month. You know, it's great that we have these months, but it takes more than just these sort of things. Uh, it takes a whole different a bunch of things together. But obviously, uh, most people can um, come together with ice cream. So, mm-hmm. Right. Um, I must tell you, too, that uh, I had a funny experience. I have an older sister who lives in, in London, and uh, she sent me... Um, I can't remember. Oh, I guess it was a, a news clip. You guys were on the news. Right. And I forget with CTV or something. Like, anyway, my sister sent it to me, and she said, you wouldn't believe this young co- this uh, brother and sister. She said, they are amazing. And she said, she, she saw this on TV, and they're in London. And I wrote back to her, and I said, oh, yeah, I know them. They're my friends. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> it's such a small world. Small world. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you both so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to lots of years of uh, watching you and your successes with your media and the work that you're doing. Great. Thanks for everything. It's always great to talk to you. Okay. Keep well, you too. All right. <laughs> you too. Bye. 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 Find us on Twitter. Outlook CFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.